Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, recently I asked a question on Facebook. I said, what does it mean to be a Christian? I wonder how you would respond to that. If we had a bit more time, I'd ask you to turn to the person next to you and give them your response. Uh, But we've got a very full service today, and I'm not sure that uh, Tony would thank me if I did that. Uh, So just think for a moment how you would respond to that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? On Facebook, people said a whole variety of different things from, well, you're a minister, shouldn't you know? Fair enough, I guess. Uh, to it's wearing socks with sandals and not caring what the world thinks. I'm not sure that I agree with that one, I have to say. But the most common response that came again and again can be summed up with what uh, one person, Liz, wrote. And she said this, Being a Christian means trying to emulate Christ in all that I do and knowing that I am loved and forgiven. Being a Christian means knowing, trying to emulate Christ in all that I do and knowing I am loved and forgiven. Seems like a pretty good response to the question, what is a Christian? But how do we do that? How do we emulate Christ? And what difference does it make to our lives to know that we are loved and that we are forgiven? I wonder if our faith should impact on our relationships with our friends and our family or how we spend our time and money and our resources, or how about how we treat the environment, or how we engage with politics, or our attitude to our jobs. It's no surprise, of course, that my answer to those questions is that yes, of course, being a Christian should have an impact on every aspect of our lives. You all knew that I was going to say that. We know it, don't we? We understand that being a Christian isn't just about attending church on a Sunday. It's not about just praying regularly and having a relationship with God. Though, of course, those things are important parts of being a Christian. But being a Christian is more than that. That's a part of it, but it's not all of it. In a sense, those things, the going to church and the praying, are the easy bits. But what about the rest of it? Well, I think our readings that we've had today tell us something about what a Christian should be. The reading from John's Gospel begins with Jesus' command to love one another. That seems like a pretty good place to start, doesn't it? Love each other. And the Greek word used for love here is agape. Agape love. And it's not a romantic love. It's not a charitable love. It's a love that's for the other person, a love that puts the needs of your friends above your own needs. And John goes as far as to say that this love should mean that Christians should be prepared to die for each other. That's quite a big ask, isn't it? John's Gospel, of course, was written at a time when the early Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And he was writing to encourage that community in the context in which they were living. For them, there was a real possibility that they could lose their lives. And so in that context, you would want to know, wouldn't you, that your brothers and sisters in faith could be trusted with your life. Most of us are lucky these days not to be living in a context where Christians are persecuted. 
So what does this command to love look like for us, where we live then? In our reading from Romans, we get a bit more of a practical list of what it means to be a Christian, to live out this loving for each other. There are some really familiar words in that reading if you're regular attenders at worship with us. We say them every week when we give our pastoral notice. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn or weep with those who weep in the translation that we usually use. Sharing one another's joys and challenges is a part of Christian living. We should know what's going on in each other's lives and want to be there for each other in and through those things. And we're also told in Romans to share with those who are in need and to practice hospitality. That's the reason that we have a benevolent offering in our communion services, in order that we can support those who are in a particular need. And Romans also says that we are to live in harmony with one another, to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us. Paul putting that caveat in because he recognizes that we can't control the behavior and the choices that other people make. But we can control how we respond. Living in community is not always easy. In fact, most of the time, it's really quite hard. To live well with one another, we have to genuinely want to put the needs of each other above our own. To put each other's preferences ahead of our own preferences. But in order to do that, I have to know what your needs are, what your desires are. I could try and guess, probably not going to do a very good job of it. Even worse, I could just assume that I know what you want and need. How often do we see that in church? Fairly often, I think. I can think of examples when that has happened. Practicing this kind of hospitality that Paul is writing about means that instead of inviting others to join in with us and then expecting them to do things the way that we always have, we have to be willing to change according to the gifts and the skills, the needs and the wants of those who are joining us. Forgive me if you've heard me tell this story before. But when I uh, was first invited to attend a Methodist church in my late teens, uh, my friend who had invited me rang me up the night before and said, oh, bring your oboe with you. I said, okay, being, you know, fairly easygoing, I did as I was told and took my oboe along with me. And we were practicing music for the service within the following week. So, of course, I then had to go to the service the next week because I practiced the music. So I went along to the service the next week. And in my second week ever attending that church, I was helping to lead the music for the service. My gifts and my skills were recognized and welcomed and were enabled to contribute to the life of that church. And when I was baptized and confirmed a couple of years later, my non-Christian parents came to the service. And my mum commented to me how much I had changed since I had started going to church, that I was happier I was more confident that I was thoughtful and caring. Now, I don't think I'd been a mean, horrible, selfish person before that, but she had seen a change in who I was because of my faith. Today, as we receive new members into the life of this church, my prayer is that we will be changed by your presence with us, that each of you will bring to our church 
who you are, your gifts and your skills, your needs and your desires, your hopes and your dreams. Let's grow together ever more into the people that God is calling us to be. In that reading, Paul also tells us to feed our enemies, to overcome evil with good. And I wonder if this is the most challenging part of the reading. When somebody hurts us, it's a very human thing to want to hurt them back, to want to take revenge, to make sure that others know that when they hurt us, they will have to pay. But the Bible tells us over and over again that there's a better way to be, a way that enables our flourishing as well as the flourishing of others. And to do that, we need to turn the other cheek, to repay hurt with love and evil with good. I once heard it described this way. When we hold on to pain, when we don't forgive, it's like we're standing in a doorway, holding the door open to all of that hurt. But when we forgive and move on, we close the door and we are able to continue on our journeys. Now, I don't say that lightly. And I'm not saying that we should allow people to treat us badly. The Bible doesn't ask us to do that. God doesn't want that for us. And the church should never teach that putting up with abuse is okay, because it's not. The reason for forgiveness is to allow, allow healing and wholeness. God wants us to flourish, to live well with one another in love. The reading from John's Gospel says that we are chosen and appointed to go and bear fruit. The command to love one another is given before and after this commissioning to be fruitful in the world. When we live as the way that is described in Romans 19, putting the needs of others before our own, it is then that we can bear fruit in the world. It is then that others will look at us and see something of the divine in us. It is then that we will be salt and light in the world, illuminating the dark places and bringing life and joy. So as we reflect today on what it means for us as individuals and as a church to be Christians, as we reflect on how we can emulate Christ and know that we are forgiven and loved. Let's remember that it matters for the sake of our lives together, but also because we are sent into the world to bear fruit for God. So whether you've been a member here for 50 years or 60 years, or whether you're becoming a member today, whether you're a visitor here for the first time, or still making up your mind whether this is the place for you, know that you are welcome here. We want to get to know you and to be changed by your presence, for we are all God's children called to love one another. Amen.